Chapter Fifteen of Thomas Wingfold, Curate, by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen, The Park Gate. He had, however, one considerate, even friendly parishioner. It seemed, to whom it became him at least to thank for his openness. He ceased to pace the room sat down at his writing-table and acknowledged Mr. Polwer's letter, expressing his obligation for its contents and saying that he would do himself the honour of calling upon him that afternoon in the hope of being allowed to say for himself what little could be said, and of receiving counsel in regard to the difficulty wherein he found himself. He sent the note by his landlady's boy, and as soon as he had finished his lunch, which meant his dinner, for he could no longer afford to dull his soul in its best time for reading and thinking, he set out to find Parkgate, which he took for some row of dwellings in the suburbs. Going in the direction pointed out, and finding he had left all the houses behind him, he stopped at the gate of Osterfield Park to make further inquiry. The door of the lodge was opened by one whom he took for the first half-second to be a child, but recognized the next as the same young woman whose book he had picked up in the fields a few months before. He had never seen her since, but her deformity and her face together had made it easy to remember her. "'We have met before,' he said, in answer to her courtesy and smile, and you must now do me a small favor if you can i shall be most happy sir please come in she answered i am sorry i cannot at this moment as i have an engagement can you tell me where mr polworth of the park gate lives the girl's smile of sweetness changed to one of amusement as she repeated in a gentle voice through which ran a thread of suffering "'Come in, sir, please. My uncle's name is Joseph Polworth, and this is the gate to Osterfield Park. People know it as the Park Gate.' The house was not one of those trim modern park lodges, all angles and peaks which one sees everywhere nowadays, but a low cottage with a very thick wig-like thatch into which rose two astonished eyebrows over the stare of two half-awake dormer windows. On the front of it were young leaves and old hips enough to show that in summer it must be covered with roses. Wingfold entered at once and followed her through the kitchen upon which the door immediately opened, a bright place with stone floor and shining things on the walls, to a neat little parlor, cozy and rather dark, with a small window to the garden behind and a smell of last year's roses. "'My uncle will be here in a few minutes,' she said, placing a chair for him. "'I would have had a fire here, but my uncle always talks better amongst his books. He expected you, but my lord's stewards sent for him up to the new house.' He took the chair she offered him, and sat down to wait. He had not much of the gift of making talk, a questionable accomplishment, and he never could approach his so-called inferiors but as his equals, the fact being that in their presence he never felt any difference. 
notwithstanding his ignorance of the lore of Christianity, Thomas Wingfold was, in regard to some things, gifted with what I am tempted to call a divine stupidity. Many of the distinctions and privileges after which men follow, and of the annoyances and slights over which they fume, were to the curate inappreciable. He did not and could not see them. "'So you are warders of the gate here, Miss Polworth,' he said, assuming that to be her name, and rightly, when the young woman who had for a moment left the room returned. "'Yes,' she answered. "'We have kept it now for about eight years, sir. It is no hard task, but I fancy there will be a little more to do when the house is finished.' "'It's a long way for you to go to church.' "'It would be, sir, but I do not go,' she said. "'Well, your uncle does.' "'Not very often, sir.' She left the door open, and kept coming and going between the kitchen and the parlour, busy about the house affairs. Wingfold sat and watched her as he had opportunity, with growing interest. She had the full-sized head that is so often set on a small body, and it looked yet larger from the quantity of rich brown hair upon it, hair which some ladies would have given their income to possess. Clearly, too, it gave pleasure to its owner, for it was becomingly as well as carefully and modestly dressed. Her face seemed to Wingfold more interesting every fresh peep he had of it, until at last he pronounced it to himself one of the sweetest he had ever seen. Its prevailing expression was of placidity, and something that was not contentment merely, I would term it satisfaction, were I sure that my reader would call up the very antipode of self-satisfaction. And yet there were lines of past and shadows of present suffering upon it. The only sign, however, that her poor, crooked body was not at present totally forgotten was a slight shy undulation that now and then flickered across the lines of her sensitive mouth, seeming to indicate a shadowy, dim-defined thought, or rather feeling of apology, as if she would disarm prejudice by an expression of sorrow that she could not help the pain and annoyance her unsightliness must occasion. Every feature in her thin face was good and seemed individually almost to speak of a loving spirit, yet he could see ground for suspecting that keen expressions of a quick temper could be no strangers upon those delicately modeled forms. Her hands and feet were both as to size and shape those of a mere child. He was still studying her as a book, which a boy reads by stealth, when, with slow step, her uncle entered the room. Wingfold rose and held out his hand. "'You are welcome, sir,' said Polworth, modestly, with the strong grasp of a small, firm hand. "'Will you walk upstairs with me, where we shall be undisturbed? My niece has, I hope, already made my apologies for not being at home to receive you.' "'Rachel, my child, will you get us a cup of tea? "'And by the time it is ready we shall have got through our business, I dare say.' "'The face, 
of Wingfold's host and new friend, in expression a good deal resembled that of his niece, but bore traces of yet greater suffering, bodily and it might be mental as well. It did not look quite old enough for the whiteness of the plentiful hair that crowned it, and yet there was that in it which might account for the whiteness. His voice was a little dry and husky, streaked as it were with the asthma whose sounds made that big disproportioned chest seem like the cave of the east wind, but it had a tone of dignity and decision in it quite in harmony with both matter and style of his letter, and before Wingfold had followed him to the top of the steep, narrow, straight staircase, all sense of incongruity in him had vanished from his mind. End of chapter 15 Reading by John Shurman, Winfield, Illinois